Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Leahy. Welcome to More Than a Club podcast, episode three. I'm Coach Bill Leahy, joined here today with Marty Cuprian, and we're thrilled to have Coach Henwood here from next. Coach, welcome. Thank you. Really excited to have Kate here today. Thanks to all of our listeners who've been giving us feedback. Um, we're excited to get into some new topics today and explore some new conversation and hopefully attract some new listeners as well. Uh, I am honored to have Kate with us. She is an awesome coworker at Next and a number of years ago came to us from a Division One program. At that point, we did not have a girls club lacrosse program and we did not have girls lacrosse education. Uh, we now consider ourselves a leader in both of those fronts in the Philadelphia region. Kate is a huge reason why and she also has a full staff of rock stars um, now working with her and our girls club um, and I've learned a lot having a desk near her and really admire her as a former teacher. Talked a lot about the educators here at Next and the different perspectives we bring. So welcome Kate and we're excited to hear more about your background. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Marty and Bill, for having me today. This is exciting. I love that you're doing a podcast, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, you're both obviously leaders and mentors in your own right, and it's exciting to have some dialogue. So um, I'll try to keep it brief, but basically I'm also a Delco kid, as Marty is as well and mentioned in his first episode. Um, grew up in the Garnet Valley area, um, played a lot of sports growing up, and uh, had two younger sisters. We kind of, you know, did that 24 seven, um, went to Garnet Valley and back then we were pretty terrible at most sports. So that was pretty frustrating. Uh, played my college lacrosse, um, at LaSalle university, uh, got my education degree there. And then afterwards, um, became a teacher right out of college. So, uh, I actually, my first year out was coaching and teaching at Pencrest high school, which most people don't know, little known fact. Um, and, put my mark on Delco right out of high school or right out of college, I'm sorry, um, with uh, coaching in the Central League. Um, then I actually started uh, coaching at Villanova. I was a part-time assistant there for three years, but since I was part-time, I also uh, was still a teacher. So I actually went back to my alma mater. I was uh, a middle school and high school teacher in the Garnet Valley School District for seven years. And eventually after three years at Villanova and getting my master's degree in American history there, um, which is pretty much just good for me being pretty good at like bar trivia. <laughs> um, I basically um, decided that I was going to uh, take a D1 head coaching job out in California. Uh, I was there for three years. It was an excellent experience. It was beautiful every day with the sunrise and everything like that out, out on the West Coast. Um, and it was certainly, you know, an incredibly valuable experience. I learned a lot about the industry. Um, so I feel like I've had, you know, a great perspective on the high school game, um, you know, coaching high school as well um, before I left the college game uh, as an assistant, as, an, as a head coach. Um, and then obviously now coming back to Philadelphia and being involved with Next, um, it was incredible to be able to kind of step into a, a company that was well-established and well-respected, uh, especially on the boys' side, and sort of add my own twist to it, add a girls' program, and make sure we were able to really do that the right way. Um, and that was in 2015, and, and here I am today, and working with you guys every day, and sitting next to 
Coach Coop. I feel like this is just another Monday morning, Coop, just sitting down with our coffee and recapping the weekend. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's the point. That's how it should feel. Uh, we've been talking about this for over a year. Just, hey, there's so many cool perspectives at Next. We're having so many great conversations. We should do a podcast. And then when Coach Leahy started sharing his, his love and passion for great podcasts and passing them, them on, um, we knew we might be able to get our hooks in Bill. Um, and here he is. So, yep. yeah, we're really excited about that. We'll hear a little bit more about what you've built here at Next um, as we get to our questions with you. Um, for right now, um, the format of our show, the first thing we want to hit on is a youth sports hot topic. And we really wanted you to bring um, that to us. Absolutely. Um, well, this is something I'm pretty passionate about, you know, when it comes to youth sports. Uh, obviously, gender is something that I'm always ready and willing to talk about. Um, and as we know, uh, gender in sports is a really interesting topic. And most people, when you think about gender issues in today's society, you know, you think about the pay gap and that sort of thing, um, which obviously affects all, all women in our country and around the world. Um, but you never really think about it impacting youth sports. Um, you know, I would say that it's pretty obvious that it impacts, you know, the college coaches, you know, who are paid less than their male counterparts or uh, women's women's lacrosse officials versus men's lacrosse officials. But, you know, maybe in a way that's a little bit more subtle that people don't realize. It seems that parents are more willing to pay higher prices for their sons to play youth sports than they are for their daughters um, in youth lacrosse specifically. Um, I've actually, you know, kind of dug into this a little bit because it affects my business and ability to, you know, run an effective uh, business here um, at Next. And I found that when you just compare what people are paying for um, boys to play lacrosse versus girls, it seems that there's about a 24% difference. Um, and you know, it seems that that is first kind of initiated by uh, the price of events being much higher. Um, sure, the roster sizes are a little bit bigger on the boys' side than the girls, but not 24% bigger. Um, and, you know, those differences are then made up for in club tuition as well. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of dollars left on the table every year just in my business line. Um, because people are west, less willing to pay for their girls to play lacrosse than their, than their sons. Okay. Um, and then just jumping from there to something for our coaches, you know, so, something for coaches. And I've heard you and um, your counterparts and our next girls staff going over the new rules and making sure that you were all on the same page about them. I heard you on a phone call with a referee. Um, I was all confused by it, to be honest, <laughs> yep. and I'm sure it, it, some other people are, but um, you know, what's new in the girls' game? Absolutely. No, it's exciting to be able to kind of bring some of this up and just talk about some of these things. You know, no real agenda here other than just like the awareness of it, um, and there's, it's a long road for us to be able to figure out what to do about it, but I think that it's difficult sometimes for people coming from the men's game or even any sport to appreciate the women's game because, you know, there's a lot of whistles, there's stoppages, it's not quite as accessible, they don't understand what the heck is shooting space, um, and it takes a while for uh, people to really start to understand the nuances of the game and appreciate it. Um, so one of the newest rules that I think most people are excited about outside of the shot clock um, are the free movement and the self-start rules. Um, they were implemented in the college game a few years back, and 
took a little bit longer than I think most people wanted uh, for it to matriculate down to high school. Um, but now um, the high school rules and the youth rules are allowing for free movement. So essentially, that basically just means, um, you know, just like in any sport, when there's a foul, um, the players off ball are still allowed to move. They don't have to freeze like they're playing freeze tag like we used to have to. Um, and then also the self-start aspect of it is that you don't have to wait for the official to set you up and then, you know, allow you to go again. You can just go as soon as, um, you know, you're, you've established your position. So in my opinion, I think that's really going to speed up the game. It's going to make it a lot more user-friendly, accessible. It's going to be easier for kids coming from other sports to pick up lacrosse because they don't have to kind of adjust to that weird rule. Um, and for me, you know, I hope it makes the sport more visible, more people like it. Um, you know, it's there's a lot of little X's and O's and nuances we could probably get into from the coaching aspect, but the bigger picture implication, I think, is it's just going to help the sport grow. Has this rule change led to changing goals, possessions, turnovers? It's Ex interesting. Excitement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so for the shot clock, I think definitely um, lended itself to kind of increasing the amount of goals per game because you're not necessarily just like holding on to the ball for long possessions. Um, but it actually increased the length of the game, believe it or not, because there was no regulation on the college side, um, at least not in the first year or two, uh, about how long it would take for you to reset up after a goal. So essentially teams were taking as long as they wanted and it really lengthened the, you know, the time frame that the games were taking. Um, they're starting to kind of pay attention to that. I think learning a lot of important lessons, but the women's game is evolving every year. Um, so many different changes to the rules are happening and I think it's really great for the sport. Um, it keeps us all on our toes and from the events business and the club business, you know, it enables us to try new things and experiment with different formats and I think it, it's really fun for the players as well. Great coach, thanks. You know, as a side note, me and you shared a special night a couple years ago, right? We did. A little Philly special. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what we call that night, the Philly special? <laughs> we should call it the Hershey special because, uh, yeah, Coach Leahy and I, we both won a state championship on the very same night as head coaches of high school teams. So, Yeah, it was a fun night. Good a memories, night to coach. remember, Coach. <laughs> they're, they're both wearing their medals right now. No, no big deal. <laughs> that was my way to chime in with two Philly folk here as the only Baltimore guy. Yeah. You guys are bonding over here with I next know. topics and, and Delco. Delco topics. I'm over here thinking about my Ravens, listening to all your good stuff, it's Coach. It's okay. So. You can sit with us, Coach Bill. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the next part of our show has been about being a good teammate, a little bit of culture building. And one of the most popular books past couple of years and even still today is The Hard Hat by John Gordon. I had the chance to meet Mr. Gordon at Team USA when he spoke to our under-19 guys. He was just excellent. So many good books. But one of the primary ones is The Hard Hat, which really 21 principles how to be a good teammate. And I'm not going to go through them all, so our listeners have to go out there and buy John Gordon's book and give it a good read. It's based on a gentleman at Cornell who passed away, and he was an outstanding person as much as a lacrosse player. So, Coach, I thought we'd have a little fun here. we okay. got 21 principles. Tell me about your favorite three. I'll tell you about my favorite three. What's your first one? Absolutely. Huge fan of John Gordon. I don't know a coach who isn't. Um, the one that really stands out to me first is number 10, um, what's that one about coach Bill's accountability, right? Hold yourself and your team accountable. Excellent. Yeah. That one to me is definitely one of my favorites. Accountability is something I've always preached as a coach. It's imper imperative as a player and as a leader to, um, not just, you know, 
I guess, stand up for something that you see that needs to be adjusted or changed, uh, but also recognize it in yourself when you need to make an adjustment um, and, and admit it and say, hey, look, this is something I need to get better at or this is an area where we can improve. And actually to have that initiative to call it out in that moment, I think will make every team stronger. Yeah, you know they're good when me and you don't agree and we have six different principles that out of the 21. Right. <laughs> so my favorite was number four, pursue excellence. In our last episode, I talked about stick work as it's just a basic fundamental. It's hard to play ice hockey if you can't ice skate. And I got into, it's hard to play hot lacrosse if you can't catch and throw. And pursuing excellence in the area of fundamentals. It's just, it's tough today. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's not fun to go through stick work. It's not fun to do ground balls. It's not necessarily fun to review cradling. And yet I'm speaking on the phone to Matt Rambo the other day who's, who tells me he's heading out to go shoot again. Yep basic fundamentals and you may be the best player in the world and uh, pursue excellence and it starts with the fundamentals. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that one. I love when I see, you know, our players post some pictures, they're getting out there on the wall or on the rebounder in the backyard and just logging hours on their own. And that stuff really translates to their success. I think your second favorite was number 15. Yeah. Become a, become a come with me teammate. I love this one because to me, this speaks to leadership. Um, leadership is something that I love to, you know, uh, teach and sort of empower young girls and, and uh, athletes to, you know, find their inner leader. For me, leadership is something that, you you know, it's just like any other quality. You know, sometimes people are sort of born with talent, but then they have to practice to get better. Leadership is no different. You know, you have to, sometimes you're born with charisma or the ability to lead, but you also have to practice leadership. Um, and to be that person who your teammates want to follow and you're pulling them along in a positive direction. Um, you know, I love, I love that one because it just is going to set your team up to be more successful. Yeah. The guys at LaSalle years ago changed that one slightly to become a count on me teammate. Like when you were out there on the field or in the locker room or in the halls at LaSalle, could you count on me as a teammate? Could you count on me to help you pass Spanish? Yep. Can we count on you to throw a strike pass each time? Can we count on you to hit the goal when you shoot? We actually had a guy, Colin Cahill. If you're out there, Colin, shout out. Count on, <laughs> count on Colin. <laughs> so my second favorite was number seven, do it for your team. And the idea that when you're playing high level across, it's really not about you. Mm-hmm. right? It's about your brothers, in this case about your sisters. And being a father of a woman lacrosse player, I often say to Emily when she gets in the car, how did you serve your sisters today? Mm-hmm. Not how many goals did you have, not how many assists did you have. I mean, of course, they say I love watching you play and I love you, but how did you serve your sisters? It was a couple years ago. It was an indoor preseason practice, so it didn't really count. And I got there, and I look over, and she didn't have her shoes on. She's at the end of the bench, and I'm thinking to myself, she forgot her shoes. I, my, I jumped straight to the wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. And when she comes off, she said, are you disappointed in me? I said, well, if you forgot your shoes a little bit, she said, no, I gave them away. And hmm. I said, you served your sisters today. Yep. So how about number three, coach? Well, I just want to speak to that one, Bill, because I love that one, number 19. That was sort of my three and a half if I had to pick. Um, selflessness, I think, is such an important quality of any teammate. And in order, as we know, for a defensive system or an offensive system or a transition or whatever it is you're running to work, you know, you need to be able to make the right decision in that moment and not necessarily the one that's going to get your name in the paper. Um, and it's tough, I think, for, you know, youth, youth sport players who play youth sports to wrap their head around that sometimes when society, you know, we 
we really sort of glorify the people who get their picture or their name in the paper for scoring goals, but uh, we don't always reward the little known, you know, the, the details, the things that go on sort of behind the scenes, the lesser known uh, decisions that were made to kind of help that person have that moment. So I love number 19. Um, but my, th my third one that I picked out was show that you care, number 17. Um, that to me is, is a controllable. Um, it's something that you can demonstrate in a million different ways, whether it's, you know, at practice and just kind of like making sure you're working extra hard or it's the little things you can do. You know, are you the one who is picking up the balls after practice? Are you getting there early to make sure that, you know, everyone is on time and has what they need? You know, are you the one at the party making the decision that, hey, guys, this is a bad situation for us. It's time for us to get out of here. Uh, or standing up for someone when they're being picked on. You know, just little things like that, showing that you care. Um, there's so many ways you can do that that have nothing to do with talent um, or your athletic ability that, to me, speaks volumes. Because if you show that you're invested and you show that you care, even as a coach, um, you know, I think that you're going to get a lot more out of the people around you. Yeah, that's a great one, Coach. I learned that firsthand on Team USA. You loved your team. You loved your nation. When you walked out and lined up and faced the crowd and they played the Star Spangled Banner, you just filled up. Like You loved your team. You loved that you represented the USA. It was just a deep meaning. But that applies to our high school teams, our club teams. you got to love your team. Absolutely. My last favorite was 21. Leave the place better than you found it. And I think that means leave the place uh, better than you found it and leave your jersey better than you found it. <laughs> For years, we had the guys at LaSalle leave a note at the end of the season in their locker. This is who I, who I was. This is who I am. This is how I made my jersey better, number 19. This is yeah. how I made LaSalle lacrosse better. Now build on it. So the following year, some freshman goes into locker number five, and there's this note waiting for him. This is who I was, a ghost of LaSalle past. Yep. And um, you know, I hope you can walk in the same shoes. We had the privilege to coach Travis Mannion, number 19, back in 1999. Almost everybody knows the story, but he gave his life in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And so it went far beyond lacrosse. It went, I, I left my name, my jersey, my school, my character in a much better place in giving my life for my country. And so even today, whoever wears 19 at LaSalle, it's a big deal. Absolutely. It's an honor. I, I love that traditions. You know, I think every school, every institution, every team that you play on, you need to have traditions. Great job on that, guys. Uh, a ton really to chew on for uh, our coaches, players, and parents out there with, with everything you guys are saying as coaches. Um, certainly a lot of stuff I was saying this past weekend to our little guys. Um, and then I think being uh, it, it being cool to care is a concept that um, not enough kids are you know really grasping. It's kind of cool not to care um, right. in some of their eyes. And uh, I heard Coach Lawrence go on a rant at one of the recent high school practices, like, it's cool to care. Like, more of you need to care. And you guys aren't that cool. <laughs> and your <laughs> stick work isn't that good. And uh, it went on and on. But uh, I think the point was pretty simple. So, Kate, wanted to fire some questions at you, learn more about you, your background, how you got to Next, and really what you wanted to create at Next and, and what you have done so far. And really would just start with, if you can just give us what it was like to coach Division One at UC Davis on the other side of the country, um, what that felt like taking that risk, and um, really how it went um, to be an opportunity that you left and, and came back home to Philly. Absolutely, yeah. Um, all of that is exciting. I feel like I don't even know where to start, Coop. But um, you know, I think that 
it was certainly a big risk uh, taking that job out there in California. Um, I knew that I wanted to become, essentially at that point in my life, I, I think I was 28, I had always been both a teacher and a coach, you know, and had basically two full-time jobs. Um, and I really wanted to be able to kind of give all of myself to just one of those two things, even though, you know, in my heart, I am an educator. Um, but I really kind of, you know, hung up, hung up my teaching shoes and decided I was going to put the whistle on and do that full time. Um, and certainly it's scary to move 3000 miles away and be three hours behind everybody. And in this whole new world that doesn't necessarily understand lacrosse the way that everyone back home does or appreciate it. You know, I had people say, well, what do you do out here? Um, I'm a lacrosse coach. Well, what's your full-time job? Actually, it's a lacrosse coach. You know, that's what I do, actually, believe it or not, full-time. And I mentor young women, and, you know, we are teaching them life lessons through sports and, you know, helping them be great student-athletes. Um, but it was an exciting role. You know, we did a lot more traveling out on the West Coast because there's a lot less teams out there. Um, so I got to see so much more of the world um, and the country than I had in my previous 28 years. Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, you can take a girl out of Philly, but it's hard to take the Philly out of a girl. And I, uh, I missed, I missed Philly. I missed, believe it or not, I think I missed like dirt and like grease, you know, like when I would get <laughs> off the plane and come back to recruit, I'd be like, man, I smell it, like that dirty, gross, like Philly <laughs> smell. And that is like, I missed it. It was weird. Like something about the Philly airport felt like home and that was a strange feeling, but um, Cheesesteak Alley calling you. Exactly. Huh? I ran right to Del Sandro's and, uh, you know, just saying they do have the best cheesesteaks in Philly while we're at it. Um, but all jokes aside, I really did miss um, the culture of lacrosse in the Philadelphia area. And I wanted to come back to a place that understood a sport that I was so passionate about. So just tell me about the opportunity being at Next Sports and the relationships you had there and um, really why you came back to Next and what that opportunity sounded like or looked like then, because I, I think you made a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had been in touch with both Andy and Joel for years at that point. I uh, had a lot of respect for both of them for what they had done at Next Founding It, and obviously Coach Hayes um, at Episcopal um, followed his career and had bounced ideas off of one another many times. Um, and, you know, we had even spoke about really kind of launching a girls lacrosse division before I had left for California. It just didn't really seem like the right time for either of us or that next was really ready to kind of take on this giant project the way I wanted it done. And um, so we sort of put it on hold. And then three years later, we were ready. I think uh, I was ready to come back to Philadelphia. And I was excited about the idea to coach kids of all ages. Uh, I think coaching college was something that I really enjoyed just the level of competition. Um, and doing it full time, but I missed 14 year olds. That sounds weird, but I missed, you know, I think the thing I was best at in my job was recruiting 14 year old kids on the phone, which was weird. We were recruiting 14 year olds at the time, but that was the climate of recruiting. Uh, I missed, you know, hanging out with little eight year olds and watching the joy on their face when they picked up the stick for the first time. Um, so some of those things I felt like being a college coach helped me appreciate that I, I was missing. Uh, so coming back to Next, it was really important to me to, um, you know, do this the right way. And when I say that, I mean we were going to treat girls lacrosse just as importantly as we were treating boys lacrosse. Um, and it was a challenge coming into a, a male-dominated company that um, had traditionally, you know, had male leaders that were had found a lot of success in 
in men's lacrosse. Um, and for me, I, I don't really necessarily always look at it as a gender issue. It's just really two separate sports kind of functioning under the same umbrella. And we needed to give both sports, you know, equal treatment and attention. Um, so we launched the club in 2015. I uh, had a lot of amazing coaches and leaders around me to help make that happen. The fact that I was able to rally great people, um, I think, was a huge contributing factor to our success. And people really bought into, I think, our our vision and our mission, which was like, hey, we're going to empower young girls. We're going to do things a little differently. Um, we're going to train a lot. You know, we're going to have one team per grade level, and we're going to give them so much attention. Um, I was a little frustrated in recruiting kids from this area that I didn't feel like they had, you know, had uh, as much of a, a worldly perspective of lacrosse as I had hoped and, you know, knowledge of the recruiting process. So we were excited to kind of inject some of our knowledge back into it as well. Great. Tremendous. Coach, we share our high school coaching past, and often yep. we've discussed the challenges between high school lacrosse and club lacrosse. So let's chat about that. Any thoughts? Oh, I have lots of thoughts on this, Bill. <laughs> I know you do, too. Um, That's because you read my article that I wrote I a while did, ago. I did. You know, I think it's tough for high school coaches and club coaches to sort of who, who, people who do only one or the other to appreciate, you know, what goes on, on the other in the other world. Um the way I see it, I think that both the club and the high school teams both serve a really important purpose in a kid's development. Um, they're just really different. Um, you know, being a high school coach at Garnet Valley for three years, um, you know, the one thing I miss the most about that is that I got to be with those kids every single day. And that, to me, is the biggest difference. Um, you can build such a consistent culture and have such a consistent message that even if they go home to the dinner table and they have a negative conversation about, you know, something that happened at practice or a teammate or the coach or whatever, you still get to see them the next day and sort of put them right back on the, on the path with the rest of the team. Um, with the club, you just have fewer touch points. So the way we communicate um, to our players and parents is different and it's a challenge to kind of keep things always keep the message consistent and keep everybody informed and on the right path just because we don't see each other quite as much so that is the biggest challenge um at the high school level i feel like there's so much importance to um understanding leadership and just being a part of a season uh, you don't really get the sense of a season in club lacrosse uh, in club lacrosse you play you know 22 minute running clock halves with no scoreboard sometimes you don't know what the score is you know in high school lacrosse there's a scoreboard you know the score you know how many timeouts you have you have a scouting report it's a lot more like college lacrosse and and you know you understand what the importance are of different games you have to ride the wave of a season you know you might end up losing to a team that you're going to see two more times later that year in playoffs and um I think high school is where kids, we sort of carve out winners and losers. You know, high school is where you decide, uh, I'm going to put my team on my back in this moment and we're going to win this game together. You're, you're running a system that you've practiced and there's plays and, you know, you've, you're put in situations that you've been in before um, and you can find success that way. Club is a little bit more, to me, it's a little bit more social. It's clearly where you're, getting recruited and that's not because it's really the best place for it but it's really just because of the recruiting timeline and 
college coaches are in season the same time high schools are, so the only time they can recruit is when club is going on. That's why club first started. Um, but while it's got that sort of air of, of showcasing talent and, you know, the pressure of recruiting, to me, club was also sort of my release. It was my fun place because I got to be around other kids who were just like me, who I didn't get to see every day at school. And in my experience growing up, there weren't a lot of kids like me who loved lacrosse and soccer or whatever as much as I did. So the fact that every weekend I got to go be with girls who shared a similar passion was really important for me. And I think my self-confidence and um, sort of just my self-identity in some really formidable years that it was okay to care about sports and be passionate and competitive and aggressive because these other girls are too, uh, where I didn't see that necessarily every day. So um, socially, I've relied a lot on my club teammates, and today they're still some of the people that I keep in touch with the most and are still some of my best friends and coach in our club. And, you know, it's, uh, it's rewarding to have those friendships that other, without lacrosse I never would have had. And I think that is a really important component to club. Well, you really stole my thunder there, Coach. That was <laughs> excellent. You know, in my later years, as club grew and high school still remained important, I was seeing a fascinating um, difference that you just mentioned, and that is the clock. Yep. The idea of managing the clock. The clock's a third opponent. Yep. It can be for you. It can be against you. And we had a telling game against the Hill Academy at LaSalle, snowing, raining, right up a Canadian's alley. We're playing the best lacrosse of our year, which hadn't gone so well last year in the beginning. We were up 3-1. And I could tell Coach Brody was up to something as the clock ran down. We called timeout. We had possession. And I'm thinking, boy, to be up 4-1 against the Hill Academy here at LaSalle under the lights to end the first quarter. Who would have thought it? Yep. So we call timeout, make sure everybody's on the same page and say, we are going to take a shot with 15 seconds left. Everybody understand, there's 39 on the clock. Guys, look right at me. What time? And they all say 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the main guy, my one of my favorite guys, but he is a club all-star. And I say, buddy, are we on the same page? 15 seconds. I looked at his teammate I said tell him 15 seconds are we good we go right out and he uncorks it in one second mm -hmm. <laughs> two seconds of course the Canadians <laughs> go down they they make the game 4-2 and the momentum swung but the key is I said to him what were you doing and he said I never have to look at a clock mm -hmm. and he's a young guy and I said right we have to learn to manage the clock and he said all summer there's not a clock I wait for the horn to sound I said, yeah, but the bigger problem is I laid it out for it's you three that. times, yeah. buddy. How <laughs> about following instructions? But I never would have, it never would have crossed my mind when he pointed out I don't have a clock right. for a lot of my lacrosse experience. The clock is critical. And not to bring up California again, but uh, I was recruiting at a local high school game out in California. And at two minutes, the scoreboard, the clock just stopped. And the, the game was still going, but apparently the unofficial clock was no longer on the scoreboard. It was being kept either by the officials or somewhere in like magical lacrosse land. I'm not sure. Um, and I look at my assistant coach like, no wonder these kids have such a hard time transitioning from high school to college. They have no idea how much time is left on the clock in the most critical part of the game. And, you know, I guess it was just because they had issues in the past maybe with the clock being incorrect or they were trying to you know being in California everyone's very PC they didn't want to offend anybody with the clock right so um, I just couldn't believe it because what are we teaching these kids they need a clock you know they need to have pressure it's okay to teach them 
what pressure feels like. Cause the they clock need to, provides that. Exactly. Yep. You know, before we move on to coach's question, any thought that there's too many voices in their head? Oh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. All the voices <laughs> in quick my head version, are quickly coach. telling me. Yeah, I mean. Because we had to tell the guys at LaSalle, we'd have to say, listen to your club coach when yeah. you're at club wearing club clothing. Mm-hmm. And listen to your LaSalle coaches wearing LaSalle clothing when you're at LaSalle. It doesn't mean one's right. It doesn't mean one's wrong. There's lots of ways to play the game. But boy, you're hearing an awful lot. They're hearing more than they should. They're hearing their instructions from the parents in the stands. You know, there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, cheering someone on and saying, you know, great job, like good work to go get the ball, take it to the left alley, like go to X, like whatever the specific instructions that parents are yelling. It's hard for a kid to discern the difference between the two. And in high school, you can train them to tune that out, but only if you're focusing on that culturally every day of practice. I mean, we would, the neighbors weren't too happy, but we would blare music as loud as we could and create really loud, hectic, crazy scenarios on purpose um, at practices in college and when I was a college coach and a high school coach because kids need to learn how to play when it's so loud they can't hear anybody and they need to be able to trust themselves and what they know and what they learned the day before and the week before at practice um, and to talk each other through it because really the only other people they should really be listening to, like you said, Bill, are the ones who are right there with them in that moment who understand everything about the situation and there's no one else who understands everything about the situation except for the people who've been at practice every single day leading up to that moment yeah i'm guilty of that parent voice years ago (laughs) my emily was clearing the ball up the sideline in a in a game and i'm out of bounds yelling coaching from the sideline coach Leahy is not being a good guy right there and she throws the ball right past me clearing it and then she looks over and she says hey dad you worry about you and I'll worry about me. Yep. All the parents looked at me Boom. like, ooh. She I definitely put you in your place. <laughs> Sat back in my chair, and that was the end of my, my coaching from the sidelines. But that was just another voice in her head that wasn't helping. Yeah. And she let me know it. Well, and most kids can articulate that. What I've seen is just like these, this, this scared, like frozen look on someone's face when literally they get the ball. It's a high, you know, high-pressure situation. Mind you, they're nine, and everyone is yelling, go, 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 in their face. And literally, the kid, like, I actually watched a kid once drop the ball and, like, just start crying and then, like, started to have an anxiety attack. It's just, it's insane because people don't realize they think they're helping, but these kids are just hearing, you know, way too many voices. So, in in short, Bill, yes, I think there's way too many voices. Remember, we still got to write that article together. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that sounds like a whole nother episode because <laughs> I had some issues this weekend with uh, one of my parents, and I, I had to say to him, I, I don't need you to tell the guys to slide because every time you yell slide, we get scored on. Please stop. Yep. And, and he goes, oh, yeah, I probably should just be a dad. Like, that would be great, you know, because <laughs> I got four coaches here, and none of them are yelling at the, at the guys to slide right there. Um, Kate, my, my question for you and something that's always impressed me is the look and feel of the identity of the girls that play in your club. And um, I'll never forget the first presentations you were giving to our next office where you were explaining just how impressive our first team, those 2020 girls were and how they carried themselves and what they were going to be. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a point where they're seniors and they're committed. There's a ton of Division One talent, Division Three talent there. Um, but I think as you would describe them, there's some bad, bad, in a good way, athletes in that group and, <laughs> and tough and fierce. And I think the identity for the next girls 
what is that? What do you want it to be? And how, how do you build that? Absolutely. Um, I love this question. You know, I think it's important for, for young girls to know that they can, you know, walk around with a game face and they don't have to be pretty necessarily when they play sports. You know, they can wear shorts and they can smear eye black down their face and they can wear their hair however they want. They don't need to wear, you know, a kilt or, you know, a tight fitting jersey and a bow in their hair. Um, you can even have a tattoo across your shoulder if you're old enough, you know, whatever it is you want to do that makes you you and empowers you and allows you to be confident in your own skin. That's how you should be able to compete in sports as well. Uh, so we've always empowered our kids to, you know, be proud of who they are, you know, have loud cheers, have dance parties, have fun while we're playing, smear eye black down their face uh, and, you know, understand that it's perfectly acceptable for them to be aggressive for them to be competitive and we expect them to you know be able to have a blast while they're playing sports great and when you're talking to them about recruiting um i guess what are the what's kind of the coach speak from the next girls um that you're giving advice to your uh, prospective student athletes that want to play at the next level i think between you and candace and jesse a ton of former college coaches in the next girls club and um, really some valuable um, information I'm sure you're dropping on them. What are you saying? Oh, well, we're saying a lot. Um, well, I think it's important to educate the parents and the kids because everyone needs to kind of be aware of the process. So we hold a, a big, uh, you know, recruiting night with everybody. Um, Candice Bossel is our, uh, our, our girls club director, and she's done a phenomenal job sort of leading the charge with our 2021s. Um, prior to that, I was really sort of the one focused on it, but just kind of tag teaming that process with her and our other great coaches who are amazing resources. I think the most important piece of advice, because I could talk about recruiting all night, um, but the most important piece of advice I would say is for the kids to own their own process, um, for them to take initiative, for them to, you know, have their hands on the steering wheel. Um, do research, you know, get online, research different programs. Tell your parents what games you want to go to this spring, you know, what, what schools and teams you're interested in you want to go on visits to. Um, write your own emails. Um, watch your own video. Go home after an event and you got the video sent to you or you purchased it. Great job. That's just the start. Now you have to watch it, pick out your clips, and actually be the one to help make your own highlight. Maybe learn from it. And learn. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, watch your mistakes. You know, get better from them. So I think the kids who are you know, always asking their coaches, hey, what can I get better at? You know, where are the areas that I need to improve? You know, which classes should I be taking? When should I take my SATs if I want to go to an Ivy League school? The kids who are the ones asking those questions and sort of steering the ship are always the ones who find the best fit. Most of our kids are going to find a great fit somewhere, and they're going to find, you know, a fantastic home at the next level if they choose to play lacrosse um, or if they choose not to play lacrosse. But the ones who steer their own process are the ones who usually find a place that they are truly happy and have an incredible four years. Have you had to say to players or maybe their parents that are overstepping, like, hey, hello, you need to own this. And right now your mom is bothering me about this and your mom's not the one that's going to go play for that coach. Um, have you had some of those instances? Absolutely. I think the parents are just as nervous as the kids are. And it's important to remember that, too, to put yourself in their shoes, because 
they have raised this little person into a young adult, right? And now they don't have any control over what's about to happen. And they're telling their daughter, it's your choice. You can decide what you want to do. But in the back of their mind, they're like, fingers crossed, like, please decide this, you know, please make the right decision. Um, so I think we just try to include the parents and the kids on every conversation that we have. You know, if a parent starts, you know, reaching out to us, we say, these are great questions, but it's really important for your son or your daughter to hear the answers to them as well. Um, so that's been our way of kind of handling that. And I think it's been really empowering for the kid too, because generally, they want to be a part of those conversations, you know. Um, I think parents think that sometimes they're helping by taking something else off the kid's plate, but it's important um, for the kid to feel like they're, it's their process. Any thoughts as you look forward in youth sports? Any concerns? Um, I would say my biggest concern about kids today is really just, you know, honestly, mental health and the anxiety um, that they're facing just because of the amount of pressure that's on them which is a lot more than we all had. Um, I didn't commit to play college lacrosse until October of my senior year, and that was like early back then. Um, you know, I think we've done a lot to rectify the early recruiting issue, but if we back up even younger than that, you know, just youth kids these days are just so overscheduled. You know, they don't have breaks between different seasons. Um, you know, it's hard on their bodies. It's hard on their brains. And I think emotionally, most of them aren't equipped to deal with it. Um, so my biggest advice to parents is really just to kind of learn, learn more about the situations, you know, ask questions about the scheduling and just try to try to make sure that we're doing right by these kids. And it's okay to say no. You know, they don't have to play on four basketball teams or four soccer teams. They can... Every showcase, every prospect. Exactly. Day. They don't have to go every single thing that they get in their inbox because they're getting a lot. You know, ask questions, figure out what the right things are that they should be attending and and make sure that they also every now and then take a day off and just be a kid. Go to the mall, you know, go to the park, throw a football, you know, watch your favorite movie, whatever it is, and just like actually relax because that's important too. And I think we have to help them do that as the adults. Absolutely. In their life. We have to put the brakes on them. They'll play till they drop. Right. We have to be the ones who say Take a break. Right. Put it, put it down. Go get a summer job. Go do something else. Absolutely. So that you love it when you come back. Coach, they were great insights. Thanks. Thank you. We're going to have a little fun here at the end. This is called our rapid fire next homework with Coach Kate. Uh-oh. Starting to sweat over here. I, to I told Coach Law he was on a 30-second shot clock. What's the shot clock in women's game these days? Oh, man. I don't even know if I need all that time, 90 seconds. All I right. Think we're I, not yeah, going to give you 90 seconds. Right. So you have about 30 seconds for each one. You got it. If we had a player sitting right here, what's their homework assignment? Um, get to know your stick. I think especially on the girls' side, um, players don't know how to string up their own stick or what strings to pull to tighten it or, you know, if something breaks, they have no idea what to do. So get to know your stick, take it apart, put it back together, you know, sleep with it next to you, you know, pick it up first thing you do in the morning, just get to know your stick, take it everywhere with you. It should be your best friend. Coach, I love you. That was outstanding. <laughs> I rattled off for 10 minutes last time, last episode, about the importance of the fundamental appreciation of your stick work, starting with your stick. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know how to string it? Do you know what a shooting string is? Can you fix it? Do you yeah. have two of them? Do you take them home they after practice? They just care what color it is. Yeah. And, th <laughs> and then do you hold it right? You know, do you hold it correctly? Are yeah. you fundamentally sound in your stick work? That was great, Coach. Yep. How about homework for a parent? Um, I would say parents, I would suggest that you read. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading recently, which is like this whole new thing that I forgot about I could do. Um, but, 
it's it's really empowering to kind of sit back and learn about this generation. There's so much great material out there, um, so many books about you know both positive stories and sad stories. I think that we can learn from um, because this generation of kids that we're raising and parenting are very different from you know from our own experiences. So um, learning from what other people are putting out there in the world. You know, I think everyone's easy to, it's easy to kind of critique coaches or to critique players, right? But I don't see a lot of people critiquing parents, and that's okay, you know? Um, but I think we can all look within. I think we can all get better. I think parents can get better. And I think just educating themselves on different strategies or different um, insights can be really helpful. That's great, Coach. Dr. Michael Bradley is one of the best psychologists in the business, been on Oprah. He's up in Feasterville, Pennsylvania. And he was once saying, when I was listening to him speak, if we're raising our kids today the way we were raised, we missed the whole boat. Absolutely. Times are just so different. And he has a great website and good suggestions for us parents. And yep. it's not easy, especially when it's so foreign to us. Homework for coaches? So I recently saw something uh, on someone else's Twitter feed. It was great advice. And they said that they send two texts after every practice. Um, so this is be my homework as well and my advice to sort of steal theirs and, and give my own little twist. But... They always send a text to a player who just had a great day and just congratulate them and just pump their tires. Hey, great job today. Um, they identify a player who struggled. And, hey, I know you had a tough day today. And just kind of be there for them and reach your hand out and let them know you're thinking of them so they're not alone. Um, and the one that I would add would be a thank you. You know, find someone to thank, um, whether it's an assistant coach, you know, who really helped you that day and, and stepped up, or maybe it's a parent who helped you carry the balls back to your car, or, you know, the guy who lined the fields, you know, uh, or the, the person who's cleaning the bathroom, whomever it is. Um, find someone and thank them and let them know that you're grateful. You said you found reading. What are you reading? Oh, man, I'm reading a lot of different things. Um, the book I'm currently reading is actually like a nerdy business book, though. Um, it's, uh, it's all about playing to win. Um, and it was written by the former CEOs, um, of Procter and Gamble and it's all about business strategy, but it's really interesting. It's all about as a leader, you have tough choices to make. And sometimes as a leader, people don't want to have to make choices, but that's really what defines you as a leader, um, is the ability and the willingness to make choices and then live with them. Um, so that's currently what's on my bedside table. Why don't you drop that on my desk when you're done with it? You got it. I could use it. Um, <laughs> and then just to put you on the spot, but also um, let you practice some of your own medicine here. Who are you grateful for? Who's someone in um, your past with lacrosse that's helped you um, get to where you are? You'd like to give a shout out to. Wow. This is uh, honestly, I'm grateful for um, all of my competition. I would say um, all of the local Philly club directors who are doing a great job out there. You know, we all are influencing young lives and I think growing the game. And, you know, we see other regions sometimes that aren't always so great at getting along, you know, and they're fighting over kids or, you know, they have quarrels about different things that in the grand scope of things don't really matter. Um, we're all in the same industry. We're the only people who understand our lives, you know, the way that one another do. And I'm grateful that they're out there doing the same thing that I am and they're doing it well. Um, and that they came before me and, you know, that they have really helped this whole Philadelphia area grow uh, and empowered so many young girls to keep lacrosse in their life. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective today, Coach Henwood. Until next time, we're signing off from the Navy Yard of Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank you.